We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'll be looking at verses 23 through 33, and I'm using the, uh, the Pew Bible that should be in front of you, uh, and it is on page 1017, if you're following along with what I'm reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 33. We, in our college Bible study group on Monday, we talked about this passage, and we had a fun discussion with it, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to preach that passage uh, on Sunday, and it's one of those ones where you, you get into it, and you start preparing it, and you're like, wait, what am I going to say about this for, for 25 or 30 minutes? Uh, but we, it, it all came together, I think. Uh, but verses 23 through 33, I'll read the passage and pray for us, and we'll work through it. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, Eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this passage this morning. I pray that as we consider the call to love our neighbors as ourselves this morning, that you would convict us where we need uh, you, you would shed light in our own lives where we may be failing uh, in what this passage is calling us to. And your Holy Spirit would edify us this morning uh, to go and to love our neighbor as ourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So I read something a few years ago that I found to be interesting, uh, and I, I had to go dig it up. It kind of, when I was reading through this, it just it popped up in my mind. It was, this, it was a Facebook post. It was anonymous. I can't credit it to anybody. I don't know who came up with it. But... Uh, I think it's a perfect segue into our passage this morning. And essentially, what this, this post said is that there's one foolproof way to know whether or not someone is a good person. Does anyone know what that way is? I know it's Sunday morning, but you can shout it out if you have an idea. Anybody? It is the shopping cart theory. You guys know this theory? Anyone heard it? So the, the shopping cart theory. I might expose some people with this one, okay? So these are not my words. I'm just reading what I read. Let me read the shopping cart theory for you. This is the shopping cart theory. The shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. Sandra, I chose this for you. 
to return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex, apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do, because it is correct. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. So what do you think about that? I'm, I'm looking around the room to see who's like not making eye contact. That's, that's how you know who's leaving the cart behind. Interestingly enough, Aldi has seemed to eradicate this issue with only a quarter. Like, whether rich or poor, whatever, we all want that quarter back. So we're taking the cart back and we're going home with our quarter. Uh, now, as Christians... And as believers, we know that the true measure of goodness is Christ, right? Christ and his righteousness. But there are some truthful parts to that theory. No one is going to make us put the cart back. There, there's no law that says you have to put it back. If I, if I wanted to leave the cart next to my parking spot, I would be absolutely free to do it. I, I would experience no consequences for making that choice. I'm not going to jail. I'm not going to be fined. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. I'm free to do it. But that choice would have a negative effect on others. And what Paul is teaching us in this passage is that our freedoms in Christ do not come before the law of loving your neighbor. So a little background context to, to help us understand how Paul gets to, gets to this. Paul spends the majority of chapter 9 explaining to the Corinthian church that as an apostle, he has freedoms in Christ just like everyone else. He tells them he's free to eat, drink, work wherever he wants, earn an income in whatever way he'd like. Uh, but because I don't want to burden you or, or hindle, hinder the gospel work, uh, I'll make tents to support myself that way. And there were some people who thought that was a little weird, but he's saying, just hold up, I'm, I'm free to make that decision for myself. Verse 19 of chapter 9, Paul says, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. So what Paul is saying there is important for our passage here in chapter 10. He's saying, I'm free in Christ, but I'm willing to give up those freedoms so that I don't hinder the power of the gospel. And then Paul starts chapter 10 with this warning about idolatry. And he, he, he tells them, he tells the church, he says, look to the Old Testament and you will see a pattern in Israel. Time and time again, they would go back to idolatry and then they would go back to the Lord. And then he addresses eating food sacrificed to idols. He tells them in verse 19 of chapter 10 that idols, they're not really anything. They're not real. They aren't actually gods, which means that the food that's offered to idols is just food. Nothing about it changes. But he says also, the act of sacrificing to idols is demonic. So, th so there's going to be a lot of Jewish believers who would be offended by you eating that food. Because to participate with idol worship is to participate with demons. That's what he tells them. So Paul comes to this passage this morning, and he's asking the Corinthian believers to do something uh, that's not easy. He's asking them to lay down 
their freedoms for their brothers and sisters in Christ. So verse 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. If you look closely in your passage, if you're following along, uh, the statement that Paul says, the first part, everything is permissible, depending on your version, yours might say everything is lawful, uh, that first part is in quotations. Because Paul isn't the one who's saying it. He's quoting something that was commonly said by the Corinthian believers at that time. And he also refers to this in chapter 6 when he's dealing with sexual immorality. The, the Corinthian church, they had this mindset that because they were in Christ, they were free to do anything they wanted. Regardless of how it affected their, their neighbor, regardless how it affected their brothers and sisters in Christ, because they were in Christ themselves, they could do it because they were free. That was their mindset. So when they would receive instructions for Christian living that, that may interrupt their day-to-day life, they had this saying, and they would say, hold up, everything's permissible. Everything is lawful. We're believers in Christ. We can do what we want. We're not under any law. That's like what Paul's been saying for years now is that we're not under any law. Thanks to Jesus, it's all lawful. And so Paul has to tell them a few times, to slow down a little bit uh, with that kind of thinking. We are free, but we're not free to do anything we want whenever we want. That's not what the point of being free as Christian means. And so Paul responds to that quote immediately after by saying, okay, some of these things might be permissible or lawful, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything builds up. And then verse 24, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So there's something for us to learn that's really important right here in these first two verses. Among Christians, in this room even, there are all kinds of different opinions and convictions on many, many different areas of Christian living. Now, for the sake of this passage in this context, I'm talking about things that are not laid out black and white in Scripture. Things that Scripture doesn't clearly teach, like in the black and white text, that this is morally wrong. Things like who you vote for, tattoos, alcohol, how you eat, Bible translations, music that you listen to, TV shows or movies that you watch, the things you spend your money on, how you celebrate or don't celebrate certain holidays, uh, parenting and discipline decisions, dating, you know, what's physically appropriate in a a Christian dating relationship. I could spend an entire time this morning just listing things that fall under this great umbrella of Christian living. I could survey everyone here in this room on the things I just listed, and I'm confident I would have dozens, if not more, different opinions on every single thing that I just listed. And really, I think that the vast majority of our day-to-day decisions as Christians involves choices over things that Scripture doesn't clearly address in some black and white way. I don't imagine that we spend much time as believers wondering, is it really wrong that I'm telling a lie right now? Is my drunkenness, is that really a problem? Is my sexual immorality, is that something God really cares about? Is the anger and unforgiveness that's ruling my heart, is that really an issue? But I do imagine many of us wondering about these gray areas, and we wonder, is this wrong? I've probably driven Laura crazy with the amount of times I've come to her and been like, I just don't know about this. Like, is it wrong? Is it wrong if I do this? What, what do you think? Like, is it wrong? I'm always going through this battle. And now, as, as an encouragement, I want to say, if you're someone who finds themselves 
asking that, I really think that comes from a God-fearing place in your heart. Like you fear God and you want to be sure that you're honoring Christ with what you're doing, which is good. But Paul tells us here, if you're asking if this is wrong, you're not asking the right question. Because the reality is many things, maybe most things in our day-to-day life, are not sinful on paper. You're free to do it if you really want to. But Paul says that's not where we are called to end the conversation. We have to ask, is this helpful? Does this build up? How does this affect my spiritual walk? How does this affect the spiritual walk of my Christian brother or sister? How does this influence my gospel witness to an unbeliever who's present? Asking if it's wrong probably isn't going to make much difference in how how you live your Christian life. But shifting the question off of whether it's lawful or not to the question and focus of how it's going to impact those around you, that's the question the Holy Spirit is going to use to lead you to lay down your life for someone else. To lay down your freedoms, to lay down your wants, lay down your desires, so that the image-bearing people around you can be edified and uplifted spiritually. They can be honored, and they can be respected, and they can be cared for and loved. Now, the Corinthians, they weren't Jewish, right? So, so they, don't, they don't have this complicated history involving the Lord and idolatry and thousands of years of this back and forth of going to idolatry and going back to God and back to idolatry and back to God. They, they don't have that history. They were absolutely idolatrous. They just don't have the history with God over it. But because the Corinthian people, they were Gentiles, they were pagan— Everywhere they went, there would have been some kind of idolatry happening all around them. Somewhere in the temple, in the streets, in the markets, in the homes of friends and family. But from their perspective, they're going, but I'm free in Christ. And so they're involving their lives around this idolatry. They're not actually worshiping the idols. It's just around them everywhere they go. And so to make a change would mean they'd have to make some significant changes to their day-to-day life. And so Paul, he gives the Corinthians some basic instruction, 25 through 28. Eat everything that's sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is a sacrifice, do not eat it out of the consideration of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So here's Paul's advice. He says, eat anything that's sold in the meat market, anything you want. Uh, Often the meat that was used for idol worship, it would later end up in the market so that the people, that was their livelihood. They'd make money off of it. They'd sell it. Uh, So it would end up back in the market. He says, if you go to the market, buy whatever meat you want and eat it. Just eat it. Okay? And he says, he tells him, he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to God. So his point is that when it comes to food and drink, if it's in the earth, it's the Lord's because the Lord made it. Uh, Even if it so happened to have been offered to idols, the idols aren't real. It doesn't actually change what you're eating or drinking. There's no spiritual thing that happens to the substance of what you're having because the idols aren't real. So, So you're free to partake in whatever you want from the market with an absolutely clear conscience. In other words... Walk up to the register, pay for your steak, medium rare, nothing more. be a crime to ask for anything more than that. Uh, and walk away. Don't ask questions about it. It's not worth bothering your conscience or someone else's conscience over knowing where it came from. It doesn't matter. 
Then he tells them, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner, go have dinner and eat whatever they put in front of you and don't ask questions about it. It's not worth bothering your conscience. Maybe it came from idols, maybe it didn't. Just don't even inquire about it. If they put it in front of you, just eat it. You're free to eat it. But, and this is a, this is a very important but, if you end up being told this is food that was sacrificed to idols, well, then suddenly Paul says everything changes. Because now you know, and now everyone else knows. And maybe your conscience isn't bothered by it, but there could be someone else at the table who's bothered by it. Maybe the person next to you would have a conviction not to eat it. And this isn't some light conviction. Like we're, t- we're talking about Israel here. Like They would have had some big issues with eating food sacrificed to idols. So say your, your brother or sister next to you has this conviction not to eat it, but you go ahead and eat it anyways. Because you're free to do it. So now they feel like they should eat it because you ate it. Even though they're convicted about it, and maybe they make the choice to eat it against their conviction because of the example that you laid out for them. And Scripture says, anything not of faith is sin. So for that believer, whether it's right or wrong or not, if they're convicted about it, they've just sinned because you set an example for them. And you've harmed their spiritual walk. And now their conscience has been damaged because of it. And there's spiritual ramifications in their life because of it. So that's why Paul says, not everything builds up. Not everything edifies all the time. His point is also for the unbeliever that's present. Because once it's made known that this is idle food and you eat it, the unbeliever is thinking, well, the Christian doesn't seem to have a problem with this. So what's the problem with me offering this idol and then eating it, eating it later? So I'll just, I'll just keep offering food to idols. What Paul is asking the Corinthian church, we read it and we think about their context. We think about them actually bowing down and worshiping graven images in their time. And that just, in our culture, that's not something that's happening. So it's easy to, to look at this and just kind of be like, okay, yeah, neat passage. Doesn't really affect me, though. I don't really know how this plays out in my life. What Paul's asking is not easy. How would you feel if you were one of the Corinthians reading this? You're free in Christ. All things are lawful. Everywhere you go, there's some connection to idols, and you don't want to be bogged down by having to worry about everywhere you go and everywhere you look. And they're they're probably always going to be involved in your day-to-day life in some way. And Paul has told you multiple times already, you are free to eat anything. But now he adds an exception, and he asks you to lay down your freedom for the benefit of someone else. That's a hard thing to do. And, And Laura and I were talking about this now, earlier this week, for, for many believers, it takes work to get to a place of freedom. Like the scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like sanctification is a process. And for a lot of believers, a lot of work has been done uh, to get to a place of freedom, especially if you've been influenced by a culture that's constantly saying, be this, don't be this. Do this. Don't do this. Dress like this. Don't dress like this. Talk like this. Eat like this. Drink like this. Vote like this. Don't, don't listen to this music. Don't watch these shows. Make sure you're doing this, 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 and this. And believe in Jesus. Like that, there's power in a culture that's constantly throwing these things your way. And we're constantly surrounded by voices and influences telling us what we need to be if we're going to be in Christ. And in my experience, those voices and influences are almost always dealing with issues that aren't addressed clearly in Scripture. And to get to a place where you can mentally block out those influences, it takes work. 
It, it takes spiritual growth in your life to get there, to go, you know what? I'm in Christ, and his blood covers me. And, and if I'm wrong about something here, I hope I'm not, and I'm trying to not be, but even if I am, his blood covers me. My confidence is in him. It, it takes prayer, work, faith to get to that place of freedom. And now Paul is telling us, be willing to lay those freedoms aside so that you don't harm those around you. I, I think this is a harder calling uh, than it sounds at first reading. The, the gospel is always asking us to lay down our life in some way. In some passages, it's financially. Others, it's with our time. Others, it's with our homes. This one, it's with our freedoms. And I think it's especially difficult in an American context that we're in today, where we are constantly influenced by a voice that says, you can't take away my freedoms. It's ingrained in us to think that freedom is something that we are owed. And what Paul is saying is the opposite. Being free is something worth giving up if it's going to build up the people around you. It's interesting, he makes this clarification in verse 29. He says, I don't mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So he's making clear for us that he's, he's not adding some legalistic rule here in the passage. He's not saying that we're never allowed to enjoy our freedoms in Christ. He wants readers to know your conscience doesn't have to change because someone else has a conscience issue on the matter. If you're free, you can hold to that conscience. If you can genuinely give thanks for what you're doing, you are free. I think this is important because, like I mentioned earlier, no one in this room is going to share the same convictions on everything, right? And there's two sides to this coin. There's the I can do anything I want side, which Paul is dealing with specifically, but there's the other side of that coin that also shouldn't be ignored, the legalistic side, the, the, the side that says, if you're a Christian, you must do this. It's very harmful, and it can rule our hearts without even realizing it. I, I think we can look at someone in the life they're living, someone who may genuinely have faith in Christ, and maybe they do things a little bit differently than us. And you know what? Maybe they're even wrong about it. And we can go, I don't know. Like, if, if they were really a believer, they'd be doing something just a little bit different. They'd be a little bit more like me. And we can seem to forget and neglect that, like, we're sinners just like everyone else. The only reason we're saved is because of the blood of Christ. If the blood of Christ covers me, it covers my brothers and sisters around me, too. We can never demand something from believers that Scripture doesn't demand. There's nothing wrong with, with coming to your own passionate conviction about a gray area, but I think the line is crossed when we demand others to live this out in the same exact way that we do. You know, like, like any parents, uh, there are a handful of issues that me and Laura, we've put a lot of thought into when it comes to raising our kids. Many thoughts and prayers and, and readings about things Scripture doesn't addressed specifically, just like I'm sure every parent in this room has done. And, and there's one particular area that we, we talk about often, we feel very strongly uh, about it, that's different than how a lot of people around us think. Uh, and it's, uh, speaking for myself, I feel convinced about it. But Scripture doesn't clearly address it. And I would be crossing legalistic lines and boundaries to walk around demanding this from other Christian parents just because I feel strongly about it. When Christ himself hasn't made clear 
that issue. In the same way that everything is lawful, I can do anything, mindset is harmful to the gospel, legalism is just as harmful. So Paul, he, he closes this passage, verses 31 through 33. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. This is the ultimate freedom in Christ. When Paul talks about freedom, this is the ultimate freedom. We don't have a thousand Old Testament verses that tell us you know, how to eat, how to drink, what to wear, how long our hair needs to be, when we can worship or when we can't because we're clean or we're not clean. I've been listening to this. I think I've mentioned this before, but I've been listening to this Bible app. It's called Dwell, uh, and you can just listen, listen to Scripture. Uh, I have a, a cool guy with a nice British accent uh, who, who I'm listening to, to read Scripture. But when you, when you get to Leviticus and you're listening to these laws after laws after laws after laws, you're just sitting there and you're like, I kind of feel guilty, but I don't really like this. It's kind of boring, right? And, and we know like all of Scripture is pointing us to Christ. So there's benefit in every verse, every page, everything. But it can be hard to sit there and listen to this Verse after verse after verse saying, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now imagine you're a Jewish person in the Old Testament, and you have to constantly be reminded, make sure you're doing this, make sure you're doing this, make sure you're doing this, make sure you're not doing this, and you're not doing this, and you're not doing this. Like, just talking about it now, I feel bogged down by it. But this was their everyday life. There, there was a burden that came with the law for them. And what Paul's talking about here, like, this is freedom. We don't have these thousands of verses. We, we are under the new covenant from when Christ came and fulfilled all of that so that we don't have to be bound to it. So under the new covenant in him, we are free from the law. We're free from the burdens of sin. So Paul says, eat whatever you want. Drink whatever you want. Whatever it is, just make sure you're doing it for God's glory. That's the freedom where you can go, you can evaluate yourself and go, I'm going to do this. Now, is, is this really for the glory of God? Can God be glorified in this? Can my neighbors be honored in this? Can they be respected? Are their consciences going to be okay if I do this? If you can, in good faith, glorify God with what you're doing, Paul says, enjoy that freedom. But the moment your neighbor is being hurt because of it, whether it's a fellow believer's conscience or an unbeliever's perception of our faith, well, then the law of freedom ceases to glorify God. Because there's one law that overrules the law of freedom, and that's the law of loving your neighbor. Jesus summed up the entire law. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Holy Spirit can give us power to do things that we could never, ever do on our own. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm talking about, because you've probably done things by the power of the Spirit and been like, how did I do that? This love that Jesus has given us, it should change everything about how we view people around us, how we treat people around us. There's power in it, power to do things that don't make sense at all unless Christ is involved. You could have, in the pews this morning, you could have a Democrat and a Republican side by side worshiping Christ together because of the power of Christ's love, willing to lay aside those differences for the sake of, of love and unity. That really doesn't make any sense 
when you think about how different those two people are. I mean, families don't even do this. And if you've been to a Thanksgiving dinner, you know that families don't do this. It's, it's interesting to think about the power that can come from this. You know, I, I, I think about the love of Jesus, and I think about how the Holy Spirit's impacted my life. And I, I, I like to tell our youth, we have something called hindsight. Just look back at your life, if you're a believer, and see how God has carried you through everything you've ever gone through in ways that don't make sense unless he's involved. Only the love of Jesus and the power of his Spirit can we be changed? Uh, only by that power can we love our neighbor in these things. There's real power in it, power to forgive, power to forgive things that don't make sense to forgive, things that don't make, make sense to the rest of the world. They'll look at us and go, what? Like, how could you forgive that? Things that make you look at your own life and the times that you've been wicked and all the times that Jesus has said, I still love you, I forgive you, and how his love changed your whole heart, your whole life. And so you go and do the same for other people. It's power to be willing to lay down your life in whatever way that looks like to your neighbors around you. There's power in it. Two more verses and we'll close. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. So Paul closes this passage with one last call to lay down your life and love your neighbor. He says, not offending people. So he makes this point there to say, put in the work to not be offensive. Like, make sure you are actively in your day-to-day life trying to not offend people. That is so countercultural to what we're told often. Like, make sure you are taking active steps to not offend. As God's people, we should do the work to be blameless to everyone, Every person, believer, unbeliever, Jew, Greek, whoever, you name it, we should put the work in to be blameless to them. If it's in our power not to offend or to cause someone else to stumble, we should do it. Romans 12, 18, Paul says a similar thing. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone, every person, if it's possible, live at peace with them. Do the work To be at peace with people is what he says. And my suspicion is that more often than not, it's possible. And and I think often we don't want to take the time to make it possible. Do the work to be at peace with people. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that we should embody in our interactions with people every day. Now, at the end of the day, whether or not someone ends up being offended or not, that, that, I mean, that ends up being on them. Uh, That's why Paul says, as far as it depends on you. I mean, you could do everything right and there's still that person that's just going to walk away upset. They're out there. It happens. You may do everything right, and someone's still going to be upset, but work to have the confidence to know, you know what? They left angry. They're offended. They're upset. They're mad, whatever it is, but I'm confident that I put the work in, and I fought for that peace. Have that confidence. I've been thinking about this lately, this week, really the past few weeks. The gospel is offensive enough on its own. Because it causes people to face their sin. And some people don't want to hear it. I'm not sure it's our call as disciples to add to that offense. You know, we can put our swords away and we can still be bold for the gospel and what scripture teaches. 
We don't have to be involved in every culture war and every argument and every political debate. All those things, it lacks peace. It's the exact opposite of what Paul's telling us. It's the exact opposite of the fruit of the Spirit that we're called to have. And and Paul's not at all suggesting, and I'm not suggesting, that we waver in anything that Scripture makes clear. But I don't think it's our call necessarily to be Jesus' defenders. He's fully capable of defending himself. Our call is to be his disciples, making other disciples, teaching them what Jesus has taught us. Romans chapter 2 tells us it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And if you are a believer in this room, you know that kindness. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Not the abrasiveness of God, not the anger of God, not the harshness of God. It is his kindness to know that our Lord made himself lower than angels. He, he left the throne of heaven and took on this human flesh, this weakness. He took on our weakness, and he looks at us and goes, you are sinful and you are broken, and I want to redeem you. I want to mend your brokenness. I want you free from the burdens of sin. His kindness leads to repentance. And I believe if God's kindness has life-changing power like that, then what Paul's telling us in this passage is that God's people's kindness will also have that power. Let's have that power together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. God, if there's somewhere or something in our life that's not honoring our neighbor, if there's a freedom that we can lay down that we don't know about it, Lord, I ask that you would make it known to us today. Lord, if there's anything we can do to be more honoring and less offensive to those around us, for the sake of your gospel, with the purpose of your gospel in mind, please make it known to us. Lord, if someone here today doesn't know you, I pray that you would show them your kindness, and you would allow your kindness to draw them into you and add them to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.